0: Now if you've ever driven in LA or Chicago on the freeways, you know it is like NASCAR and that is crazy driving. Or maybe you've driven like uh, on the incredibly bad roads of a place like Haiti or you've been on a mission trip maybe to Africa and in the back roads of some some place or or maybe you've been on like mountain roads in, in the Rockies somewhere or perhaps you you're even one of those brave men and women that maybe drove a Humvee, you know, on a mine-laced road in Afghanistan or Iraq or or maybe You're just one of the brave men or women that drive Nicholasville Road at rush hour (laughs) every day. Well, We shot a little video uh, last week. Actually, one of our guys strapped a camera on his motorcycle and headed south from our Harrisburg Road campus down Route 68 to to an area affectionately known as The Curves. Ever driven that road? Now, I've traveled that road hundreds of times in my lifetime, but some of you may be unfamiliar with it. it. It's a very unique drive. It's a beautiful drive that cuts through the limestone cliffs, the Palisades, along the Kentucky River, just from outside of Wilmore all the way to Harrisburg. And It is is—it is one of the curviest roads I've ever driven. And there's no real shoulders on it. Trees right on the road, jagged cliffs right up against the road. And I don't know, it just seems more narrow than a, than a normal road. In fact, it can be really pretty treacherous, especially in the winter. And if you meet a semi, because semis do travel on Route 68, which is unbelievable to me, but if you meet a semi going around one of those curves, it gets really, really interesting. Anybody car sick yet? Okay, let's stop the video right now. Now, the only thing that even gives you any amount of comfort or security going through the curves is the strategically placed guardrails along the way. Now, think about this for a second. Most of the time, guardrails are... Uh, They're pretty much invisible. I mean, you can see them, but when you're driving, you seldom notice them because you're looking past them, you know, to check out the scenery as as you're driving along. But they are there nonetheless, strategically placed along the way, keeping us from driving into some dangerous area. Now, the thing about guardrails is that they're not placed like in the danger zone. They are planted just before those places that could really mess us up. And judging by the dents on the guardrails on Route 68, they've probably saved a lot of lives uh, throughout the years. And I was thinking this week that when you and I look back on, you know, some of our deepest regrets, the way that Solomon looks back, when we think of some of our biggest wrecks, some, a lot of us would say, man, if I'd, have just, if I'd have just had some guardrails in place in my life, a lot of that pain could have been avoided. If I have just established some wise, godly boundaries in my life, if there had just been some guardrails, you know, like to bump up against, to warn me, come on, slow down, there's danger on the other side, I might, I might have saved myself and a whole lot of people uh, a lot of pain. Again, now those guardrails are not in the danger zone. They're strategically placed just before those places to keep us on the road. And that's exactly the way God's wisdom works. You know one of our constant prayers around this place that you would get to know the true and living God. I mean really get to know him. And I've been praying personally that maybe the perception that maybe you've had growing up as God is this demanding drill sergeant or this even abusive or absentee father that all of that would begin to fade away and you would get to know him as the Bible paints the true God as your Abba, your 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 daddy. You see the Bible sums up the character of God and basically three words. God is love. Not God is loving, not love is one of the many attributes of God's character. God is love. Everything else about him flows from that truth. His faithfulness flows from that. His compassion flows from that. His kindness flows from that. His truth flows from that. His, his, even his justice flows from his perfect love, his unfailing love, his unending love. Love is not simply an emotion that God feels. Love is not just a verb that God practices. It's who he is. And since that's true, wouldn't you expect a father that has unfailing love to set up some boundaries, to construct some guardrails to keep his kids safe? I mean, think about it. He, he wouldn't be a very good parent to know all the potential consequences of certain things and not to warn us about them. I mean, what kind of dad would he really be to know all about the curves and cliffs and danger zones and how badly we could wreck our life and then throw us the keys and let us drive full speed into those areas without any limits, without any warning signs or any guardrails in place? That would be one lousy dad. God's an awesome parent. He has unfailing love, and from his unfailing love comes this amazing gift called wisdom. Wisdom that will not only keep us from wrecking our life, but it'll also guide us on the right road, kind of serve as this internal GPS, if you will, to lead us to real life. And here's the cool thing about this. That kind of wisdom is available for everybody, amazingly available, and the source is our loving Father. James 1.5 says this, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God he'll give it to you. Remember back in week one, we talked about how God told King Solomon that he would give him anything he asked for. And Solomon feeling inadequate for the task of leadership in front of him tells God, you know, God, what I really need is your wisdom. He wasn't asking God, could you make me smart? Could you increase my IQ? I long to be the most brilliant man who ever lived. No, he said, I need godly wisdom so I can lead well and live well. He just wanted discernment to make right decisions, both personally and leadership decisions for the whole nation. And God, you might remember, impressed by Solomon's humility, impressed by this selfless request, he says, I'm going to make you incredibly wise. Now back before Solomon rejected God's wisdom in favor of his own, look what he wrote in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. And you will find the right way to go. Solomon saying, just ask him. He will give you the kind of wisdom that will protect your life and lead you in the right way to go. Now it's up to you to use that wisdom as guardrails, but it's available for everyone who wants it. You might also remember in week one, we skipped to the end of the journal and we saw Solomon's conclusion to this, as he puts it, meaningless life under the sun. And this is what he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of every human being. So the book of Ecclesiastes, his journal, is basically him saying, I wish I would have done that all of my days. But I rejected the gracious gift of wisdom that God gave me. I plowed through his loving guardrails. I did life on my own terms and I wrecked my life. I wish I would have written on my heart the words of my father David who said, the fear of the Lord That's the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding that him belongs eternal praise. So I'm telling you, listen, I'm writing this down so you will know. My dad was right. Getting to know God, respecting his authority, living in the awareness of his greatness, trusting his unfailing love, surrendering to his leadership every day of your life. That's where true wisdom, that's where true life comes from. You know, I like the way Ellen Davis puts this. She says, the fear of God is the deeply sane recognition that we are not. The fear of God is the deeply sane recognition that we are not. I mean, everyone who's ever been an AA or NA or gone to celebrate recovery or some of the kind of 12 step group knows that wise decisions about getting well were simply unable to be made until they stopped playing God. Because when you finally let God be God, when you genuinely respect his authority and you think he's smarter than you are and you surrender to his love, when you start walking with him and you start letting him lead, then he begins to flood your life with wisdom and clear decision making ability and allows you to construct some guardrails to keep you on that new road that he's always dreamed that you would travel. See, back before he wrecked his life, back when Solomon was really walking with God, He wrote things like this. This is kind of a famous passage. We've seen it one other time in a series, but let's just read this out loud together. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And maybe you've never seen the following verses, verse 7 and 8, but let's read those out loud together as well. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. And Solomon writes Ecclesiastes saying, I stopped doing that. He started being impressed with his own wisdom, started trusting his own intellect. And as a result, he had fewer and fewer boundaries in his life. He ignored God's wisdom and he followed his impulses, his senses, his appetites. He leaned on his own understanding, went flying around the curves with no guardrails in place, and not only wrecked his life, but the future of the entire nation that God had entrusted him with. So it is with deep regret that he writes the following words in his journal. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. He's talking about himself. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. One sinner can destroy much that is good. Here he is, reflecting on his own reign as king, his own headlong dive into foolishness and sin. And he continues, it says this, here's what I've learned, as, as dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. In other words, he's saying, I stunk it up. As a king, as a man, I stunk it up. See, a wise person chooses the right road, but a fool takes the wrong one. And I took the wrong one, He says. I ignored all the warning signs, all the road closed signs. I plowed through those orange construction barrels. I disregarded the guardrails our loving father had put in place to keep us all safe. I let my own foolishness and my sin corrupt the wisdom, the gracious wisdom that God had given me. I stopped listening to God. I stopped listening to God. And I did whatever I wanted to do. And I wrecked my life. Now it wasn't always that way. I mean, the book of Proverbs is one of the richest books in the world. It's full of incredible insight and all kinds of little nuggets and principles for living. I mean, a lot of you guys have taken the 31 day reading challenge to the book of Proverbs this summer. You know what I'm talking about. And I want all of us to see some of the things that Solomon wrote about wisdom when he was walking with God. He wrote things like this in Proverbs chapter three, joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding for wisdom is is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Now, I know this would embarrass her, but my wife, Debbie, she embraces that tree of life about as strong as anyone I've ever seen. She loves God's wisdom. She loves the book of Proverbs, probably her favorite book of the Bible. And this is one of her favorite verses in the whole Bible. Proverbs 24, three and four by wisdom, a house is built and through understanding it's established through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And she would tell you that Solomon's not talking about houses filled with valuable antiques or priceless paintings. This has nothing to do with granite countertops and contemporary furnishings. He's talking about lives that are rich, hearts and homes that are full of things like joy and contentment and selflessness and hope and laughter and generosity and kindness and love, real treasure, deep things, internal things, eternal things. That's why it's so important, I believe, for us as parents to teach our kids to pursue godly wisdom, Listen, the impact of wisdom on their life is so much more significant than their academic standing, their IQ, their test scores, or their degrees. And I watch so many parents push their kids, some even drive their kids to climb to the top of the academic or athletic world and never point them toward wisdom that would serve them so much better in their life. And they may end up with a brilliant career. They may end up with much acclaim. They may have a mind that can solve unsolvable equations. They they may even invent the next big thing, but still lack the ability to make wise decisions. There's a lot of intelligent people who wreck their lives. I think it was Vernon Cooper who said, These days, people seek knowledge and not wisdom. As a result, we're becoming a nation of technological giants and ethical infants. I think it was Forrest Gump who said, stupid is as stupid does. Now, Now, of course, our kids, just like us, can accept or reject God's wisdom. And as parents, we can't make them follow God's ways. But you know what we can do? We can knock ourselves out teaching them and modeling for them that we believe God's ways are best. To give them some godly guardrails to bump up against to remind them there's a better way to live. You know, Solomon had a dad like that. He tried to instill that value in him. And now talking to his kids, he writes this in Proverbs 4. My father, or your granddaddy, taught me. Take my heart, words to heart. Follow my commands and you'll live. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words. Don't turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom. For she will protect you. Love her. and She will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. Now, There's quite a few sections in Proverbs where Solomon paints wisdom as this truly beautiful woman that he also paints in direct contrast with a dangerous, seductive woman. But this wise woman is inviting everybody. Come take my hand. Come walk my way. You come with me. You choose me. Nothing you can chase, nothing you can invest in can give you a return like godly wisdom. It's priceless. Solomon writes in Proverbs 9, Wisdom, it'll multiply your days. It'll add years to your life. If you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. But if you scorn wisdom, you're going to be the one to suffer. So come on. You need God's wisdom. You need some guardrails. If you don't have them, you're just going to wreck your life. Now, I think I need to point out that there's a difference between a guardrail and that uh, skinny yellow line painted on the side of the road. Isn't there a difference? I mean, one is set in the ground, even in concrete saying, if you go past me, you're in big trouble. The other is saying, uh it's probably not a great idea to go past me, but you can see there's plenty of room for mistakes. And I think everyone in our culture, whether you really believe in God or not, knows that certain roads lead to danger zones. I mean, that's just the universal human experience, right? And lots of people have wrecked their life along the way. So as an attempt to like set some boundaries, our culture will say things like, drink responsibly. Now, I think that is a noble thing to say. And I really do think you should drink responsibly, but that's not really a solid guardrail, is it? Because let me ask you, what's the definition of responsibly? And isn't that definition like different for different people? In fact, it's been my observation that when people get drinking a bunch, they usually get past the point of being able to clearly discern between what's responsible and what's not. I'm feeling responsible right now about you. I totally dude. I'm totally responsible. You want to drive or me? You know? So without this predetermined guardrail in place, the line between irresponsible and responsible kind of gets blurry. I mean, literally. So to say drink responsibly, again, is a noble aspiration, a trendy slogan for beer commercials, but it's not really a guardrail. It may be a thin yellow line painted on the side of the road, but it's not going to keep you from going over the edge. Or again, what about the equally well-intentioned, don't have sex until you're ready? Really? How's that work? Because guys are born ready. (laughs) Again, it's an attempt of kinda, kinda setting some boundaries, but it's not a solid immovable guardrail. It's not something that's been constructed in our heart ahead of time. It's not something firmly planted in your conscience, in your soul. It's not something that's going to keep you safe physically, emotionally, spiritually for some pretty dangerous, even devastating consequences. I mean, Solomon gets real specific about this. And he speaks directly to guys, more specifically to his sons. And he tells them, listen, guys, you need some guardrails in your life in regard to sex. Now, ironically... This is the main area that took Solomon down. But remember, this was written when he was trusting God's wisdom, when he was walking with God. So he spent some time talking about this kind of hypothetical seductive woman who lives down the street, who sets a trap for weak-willed men. And he says these words in Proverbs 5. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. That's a guardrail. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Because in the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin. And now, I must face public disgrace. He says, come on guys, instead, drink water from your own well. Share your love only, only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Now that's not merely a don't have sex till you're ready type of thing. That's not a thin yellow line by the side of a dangerous road. That's a guardrail. That's a decision to say, I'm going to do the whole sexual thing God's way. I don't go down her street. I don't go to strip clubs. I don't view pornography. I respect women. I don't flirt with anybody but my wife. I don't hook up casually. I don't have friends with benefits. I don't care what our culture says. I don't care if everybody at school makes fun of me. I don't care if I am the 40-year-old virgin. I'm going to respect God's loving authority and apply God's wisdom to all of my relationships because he's my dad. And he knows what's best for me. You know, uh, we we have a young friend who never learned any healthy boundaries like this growing up. I mean, she was not given much of a chance. To say her childhood was dysfunctional is a huge understatement. And she got caught up in a bunch of stuff that took her down some dangerous roads to some extremely dark places, especially dark uh, sexually. But recently, she's been learning God's ways and experiencing some healing in some amazing ways. It is so fun to watch her grow. I mean, she is a new creation. Well, last week, she wrote this prayer of commitment and gave me permission to share an edited version with you. And she wrote this, today I commit my body, my mind, my soul to Jesus. I commit this heart to purity and being set apart from the world for him. Today I celebrate the fact that I have found value in myself, my relationships, and most of all with God. I rejoice in the power to say no to instant gratification and yes to waiting for the real thing that comes sweetly after marriage. I say yes to my future husband who loved you enough and respected me enough to wait. I say yes to inviting God in all I do and goodbye to having to hide myself from Him. I say yes to wholeness today. I will guard my heart, my eyes, my mind so that my actions will be pleasing to the lover of my soul. I will respect my fellows and live, dress, and speak modestly so I might not tempt others to stumble. I will take great measures to stay clear of any temptation that tries to distract me from the only love I know to be whole and true. I will spend the rest of my life falling deeper in love with my amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. I am thankful to the one who created in me a clean heart. I celebrate myself as a new creation. I offer myself to be fully his and fully known by him. If he so chooses to give me a lifelong partner, we will rejoice in the fact that you are Lord and your ways far exceed our own. We will offer you full authority over our relationship, our life, and our soul. That's a guardrail. That's a plan to let God's wisdom guide your life. And she gave me permission to share that with you guys because she wanted everybody to know it's never too late to get back on the right road. He is the lover of your soul. You need to know something about this church. There are so many of us at this place who like Solomon drove our life with very few guardrails. As a result, we did whatever we wanted to do and caused a lot of damage to a lot of people along the way to ourselves, families, friendships, whatever. But the good news is God found us broken down on the side of the road. Some cases, even at the bottom of a ravine upside down. And we thought we were, you know, totaled. I mean, a wreck beyond repair we learned there's no such thing as total with God. Nobody's beyond repair. And so many of us cried out to him and he saved us, pulled us out, rebuilt our lives, put us on the right row with loving guardrails in place. And he will do the same for you too. You know, we make baptism available every weekend, but next weekend, John's going to be back to wrap up the series. And we're going to set aside a chunk of time in the service for whoever wants to start over. Because baptism is that outward sign of something that's going on in your heart. It's that surrender to the leadership of God. It's dying to that old life and asking him for strength to live a new one. It's embracing his grace and his wisdom and his unfailing love. And I really encourage you to take that step next week. Now, I'm sure that none of us can relate to this one. But here's another guardrail. Uh, Solomon writes this, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Anybody ever been led astray by those things? Think it might be wise to put some guardrails around something like that. We'll flip over to the New Testament just for a second. There was another wise guy named Paul who was writing a letter to a bunch of brand new Christians in a wild, wild city called Ephesus. And he basically tells them, listen, you guys have got to establish some guardrails. Again, not in a holier-than-thou kind of way, not in an obnoxious, superior religious kind of way, just live as children of the light. Follow God's wisdom. You predetermine that you're going to walk with God in the middle of your culture. Know what your weaknesses are. Be aware of the danger that lurks around the curves. You know that if you go too far, your family, your business, your reputation, your ministry, your church, it's all going over the cliff. Then he says this, for instance, let's talk about drinking for a second. Let's talk about that wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler thing. Let me just give you a guardrail to set in place. And here it is. Ephesians five 18. don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. He's not necessarily saying don't drink because the Bible talks about moderation in all things, but he is saying if you drink, let drunk be your guardrail. That's what it means to be responsible. Don't even be close to being drunk. Now, maybe some of us, we know our weaknesses and our potential weaknesses, and we know that we need to establish a guardrail kind of even closer in. We just need to say, you know what, I, I don't need to get involved with that at all. Now, if, if you've struggled with alcohol in the past, you know that sobriety and abstinence, that is your guardrail. You have to establish some boundaries that say pretty much, you know, L81 is about as strong as it gets for me. That's just the way it is. And Paul is saying here, let me just give you more than a thin yellow line painted on the side of the road. Let me give you a guardrail. Don't get drunk. It'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be intoxicated, drink deeply of God. Let Him guard your life. All through the Bible, it says that godly wisdom will help you establish these guardrails that will keep you from wrecking your life, keep you from having deep regret, keep you from looking back at your life and having to write something like Solomon wrote, keeps you from having to do damage control. And it's, and it's got stuff for every area of your life. For instance... I was thinking about how all of us could use some financial guardrails, right? Because more people have wrecked their life due to finances, families, marriages, all kinds of stuff have been wrecked because of financial stuff. Look again at some of the stuff Solomon writes about this. Proverbs 22, 7, he says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That's a financial guardrail. You just say, I'm going to live my life with wise financial principles. I'm not going to borrow money that I can't pay back. In fact, I'm not going to enslave myself to debt. I'm going to live within my means. I'm going to be wise with emergency funds. I'm going to follow a plan. I'm going to get on a wise budget because I know the wisdom of Proverbs 23 that says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. So I'm not going to let money drive my life. That's going to be a guardrail for me. I'm going to be generous with my money. I'm going to help other people, especially the poor. I want to honor God with the best part of everything he's given me. That's just the road I've decided I'm going to travel. Last weekend, we talked about the importance of healthy friendships. We talked about how we all need a com- community. We languish when we isolate ourselves. God wired us up that way. But we also need some wisdom, some healthy boundaries in, when it comes to choosing that community, choosing those friends. Again, Paul writes this, First Corinthians 15, he says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And Solomon warns this way in Proverbs 22, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. A bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. Again, those are wise guardrails. Choose your friends wisely, he's saying, because their character traits can and will rub off on you. Your choice of friends will either protect you like a guardrail or will lead you like over the edge with them. Could you use some boundaries for other relationships such as maybe extended family relationships? Well, check out this proverb. I love this one. Proverbs 26 verse 17. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. Isn't that great? Now, it's not saying turn a, turn a blind eye, turn a deaf ear. It's not as an excuse for inactivity or, or apathy when you see something really, really unjust or wrong. It's just saying you need to predetermine, I don't need to fix everybody. I just don't walk into places and disputes unless I'm invited. I'm not going to be one of those meddling in-laws. I'm not going to stir up stuff with my brothers and sisters. I'm not going to give a bunch of unsolicited advice on the parenting of my grandkids. I'm going to resist the urge to get involved in everything. I'm not going to gossip. That's just one of my boundaries. Those are the guardrails I'm going to live my life between. Looking for some guardrails for your workplace? Check out this one. Proverbs 20, verse 23. God hates cheating in the marketplace. Rig scales are an outrage. See, it is predetermined. In our business, in our company... We never cheat people. Never. We don't inflate numbers. We simply run our company with integrity because we know that it's better to be poor and direct than rich and crooked. We just let our yes be yes and our no be no. Those are our guardrails. I'm telling you, this book is full of wisdom like this. And I know, again, a lot of you are reading through the book of Proverbs and tracking along in this series with us, but hopefully you've been highlighting some verses, maybe even some today. And you go back in your Bible and you circle them. You say, you know what? I'm applying that to my life. I want to challenge you. Set these up as guardrails for your life. Say, this is the way I'm going to live my life. This is how I'm going to stay on the road that God wants me on. So let me just ask you, I mean, we're all friends and Just get a little personal here. What is it for you? I mean, maybe you've been listening to this going, yep, I need to establish some guardrails in my life. I'm tired of making stupid decisions. Honestly, I've been following my senses and my appetites and my impulses. I'm just tired of trusting my own instincts. Maybe as I was talking about drinking, you said, you know, honestly, that's me. And I don't want to spend my life wasted anymore. I need to set some guardrails ahead of time. So that when I am at places, I, I, I know the limit before I ever show up. Or perhaps you just know that you have got to distance yourself from a certain crowd because of the way it's corrupting your character. Again, not in a superior, holier-than-thou kind of way, but maybe you need to have the courage to get some new friends. Friends that will help you walk God's way instead of leading you over the cliff. Or maybe you're one of those, like our friend, who's saying, You know what? I need to establish some guardrails sexually. I'm just going to do that part of my life God's way. Because I have bought into the cultural lies and I've rejected his wisdom in, in this area way too long. I want to start over. Or you're saying, You know what? I really need to set some financial guardrails because truth is, I got no plan. I spend impulsively, I borrow with no way to pay it back. What are some wise, godly principles that I could apply that help me get back on track? Or, or you're saying, I need to establish some guardrails on my job so that when they ask me to kind of shade things or lie about stuff, I can say, well, you know what? I'm really uncomfortable with that because I kind of established this guardrail in my heart a long time ago that said, I'm just going to be totally honest. I'm just going to keep it between the lines. Now, I know we've seen a bunch of Scripture this weekend, but just one more proverb. Just humor me and let's just all read this out loud together. It's kind of a joint challenge, kind of a joint encouragement to each other, okay? Let's read this. Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So what do you say? We pursue wisdom like that. And we start to live between God's loving guardrails so that none of us would ever wreck our life. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you so much for your incredible word. It is so rich and deep and right and good and strong and is the path of life, real life. Thank you that you have made your wisdom available to us. Thank you, God, when we're in situations and we ask for your wisdom, you give it to us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives within us that follow you, who who speaks to us in those crossroad moments. Thanks for guardrails. Thanks for loving us like a dad that has an unfailing love. God, there's a bunch of us that have thought of your rules and stuff as, as just these things out to ruin our fun God we just want to acknowledge we know it's the path to life so help us respect your guardrails and live within them so that we can live the way you designed for us to live and God in just a few moments as we take communion we, we're going to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ which lets us know every time we do it what a great father you are unfailing love so God, in the next few moments, we just give you permission to do what you want to in our hearts as we reflect and pray and get still for a few moments. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.